Yeah, it's an audible when you, you get up to the line and, and, and something happens and, and, and the quarterback has to change the play at the, at the very last second. Well, that's today. We were going to start an interactive Bible study today with a video, but the computer's down, so we just had to change as I was walking in. But we had to decide what we were going to teach because the plan kind of went out the window. So we're, we're, we're going to wing it, which is okay. We can, we can do that. That's the, that's the cool thing about the Bible. It's pretty self-explanatory in many places. But we're going to pray, and then we're actually going to start. We're going to look at uh, Psalm 27. But let's go ahead and open the word of prayer. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I just thank you for, I just thank you for Jesus. I just thank you for this, this season that we're going into. Lord God, I just ask that you, that you just draw people to this place to hear about your son and his coming over the next couple of weeks. Lord, and I thank you that... You know, even when, even when the equipment doesn't work, we still have a plan because we have a God that doesn't change, and we have a God that's that's always, always ready. Lord, we just we just thank you and we praise you and just ask you to just to bless this Sunday school in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, Psalm twenty-seven. I'll give you all just in case you hadn't gotten there yet a second or two. Yeah, I was looking at the, when I realized the video wasn't going to work, I uh, started looking at the Christmas stuff. I was like, well, I don't want to use up all my material for, some, for my uh, sermon, you know, for the, my sermons over the next couple of weeks. So we're going to go back to the Psalms. Ho, oh, ho, ho. Psalm 27. It starts out saying that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light. You know, this is kind of a this is kind of a Christmas theme verse right off right off the bat. The Lord is is my light. The Lord is the light. You, you know the about the same time that we're celebrating the you know the coming of Messiah. All Jewish people, even the even the ones that don't accept Christ as Messiah, they, they, they're all observing Hanukkah about the same time. And, and, and Eric's going to do a presentation uh, explaining you know, what the candles are in the menorah and what they stand for. But, but the, importance of, the importance here is everything in the Old Testament, even, or, or even the festivals for the New Testament, they, they all point to Christ, e- even Hanukkah. What is Hanukkah? I've talked about this. You, you know, does anybody remember what Hanukkah what it even celebrates? It is a festival of lights. The, what they're celebrating is, is, and see, this is what I think is interesting about what, what we call the intertestamental period, the, the time of what we call God's silence. Which, which is the, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I personally don't think God was silent at all. You, you know, we don't have any recordings of, of prophets, you know, saying, thus saith the Lord, or anything like that. But we, we saw a lot of interesting things happening, you know, in this 400-year period. You know, we saw Alexander the Great, you know, come in and basically Hellenize the Jewish people. I mean... 
In, in fact, many of the by the time Jesus came around, a lot of the a lot of the Jewish people weren't even reading the Hebrew text anymore. They were reading the Septuagint, the you know the Greek text. You know, so it's you know so that had happened. But one of the one of the really bad things was was the the temple had been kind of taken over and all these idols you know to to other gods were set up in the temple well the jewish people weren't weren't too happy about that and, you know i would certainly understand you know you put a you put up a a a a, a statue of zeus or, or some call them jupiter you know in, in the middle of the sanctuary here that's going to get me a little upset you know, and, and this is especially upsetting to the to the Jewish people, because the Jewish people had a tendency before the exile, they, they had a tendency of worshiping idols. You know, because they they would they would get together with people from foreign lands, and they would kind of adopt their customs. And but after the after the big exile, you know, the, that fixed the Jewish people when it came to to this idol worship thing. In fact. They were having issues with Rome because Rome was putting faces on their money, and they considered that a graven image. And I mean, this was, you know, they put up a, um, it was Pilate to put up uh, shields um, to Tiberius, you know, um, and they got upset about that, and, 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 you know, Tiberius made them move it. So they were really upset about this. And they had reason to. The, the exile taught them that, that war, worshiping idols or any other god w- was not cool. Yeah, that's one thing that's that, that's one thing that would really upset God all the time. Well, there were four groups of people in, in the Jewish faith. There, there were the Pharisees. Oh, we know them. We've learned a lot about them in the New Testament. You, you know, these were your legal eagles. They were the experts in the law. Uh, they they uh, they believed in an afterlife. They believed in angels. They believed in all these things. Um, then there were the Sadducees, which we we read about them, and we also see in the New Testament the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They would fight back and forth because the Sadducees believed that the only the only inspired books were the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the the, the books of Moses, you know, the books that were given to Moses. But the Sadducees were, um, they were kind of the temple caretakers. You, you know, they would, they would oversee, you know, many of the, the, the care things inside the temple and, and many of the rituals. Then there was the Essenes. The Essenes were kind of, they were kind of like the, the separatists, you, you know, kind of like what we would, you know, they were kind of like the Puritans, you, you know, in their, in their history. They kind of separated themselves in fact, it was the Essenes that um, separated themselves completely and actually went to the area where we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Essenes were the ones who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, which was the thing that was really cool about them. About this is when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, the entire Old Testament was found except for two books. And the thing that was interesting about that is, is that that shows that this completely separate group, this completely separate group, you know, had been keeping, you know, an identical text, you know, or a canon, an identical canon, where it came really interesting. And when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, 
it, it was kind of a it was kind of a scary thing. I, I guess it, you know for people that might have been kind of iffy on their faith. I thought, what if these things said different things? What if our Old Testament and the, and the Dead Sea Scrolls said different things? Because then that would mean that you know that, you know the integrity of the, of, of the scripture had been lost in place. Well, here's something that was really interesting. Even though these were you know, a completely separate group and they had separated themselves completely, they're almost identical word for word from our text, you know, which, which validates you know, to our Old Testament. You know, that this completely separate group of Jews that considered themselves purest you know, had been keeping an identical record almost word for word for what we have. But they were the end scenes. The fourth group were the zealots. Remember Simon the zealot? You know, these guys were, the zealots actually were pretty much responsible for the second temple being destroyed. You know, because they were, they, they, they had no issue assassinating people if they thought it would do God's purpose. They, they, they were almost like a, milita- a militant group. You know, they... Uh, you know, the, the zealots especially would have identified with a Messiah who came to, to overthrow Rome. I mean, that would have been the Messiah that they were especially looking for. Well, the, when it came to this, this, this thing of getting rid of these foreign idols and these, these things in the temple, it's the only time in history we see the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Ensigns, and the zealots all four cooperating for a singular thing to purge the temple, to get that stuff out of the temple. So there was a thing called the Maccabean Revolt. You know, I forgot the guy who started it. It was Judas Maccabee's father, but he ended up dying. But Judas Maccabee ended up, he ended up leading this revolt, and all four of these groups of people cleaned out the temple, you know, got rid of all that stuff. Well, Hanukkah is the celebration of the purging of the temple. It, it was the celebration of... of, of of God's, the second temple, God's temple, being cleaned out of all this stuff. And we see this, um, they, 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 to this day, uh, observe this, this, this thing of Hanukkah because of the purging of the temple. We see Jesus. It's also called the Festival of Lights, like Kathy was saying. And we see where in the New Testament, where Jesus made the journey to the celebration of lights. You know, so this was something that Jesus had also, something he had also observed. But, but tying this, this, this Psalm 27, when, when he's saying, the Lord is my light, Jesus also said, I am the light of the world. And, and that's the reason they also celebrate this festival of lights and, and, and these candles that represent different things, but it's all about light. It's pointing to the light of the world. You, you know, so, so David... Psalm 27, we see is a psalm of David, when he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He, he's, he's pointing to a God of light, a God who brings clarity in, in the places of darkness. You, you know, he's, he's celebrating a God who, who you know, where there's, where there's confusion, he, he brings order. You, you know, that's, that's what light does. You, you know, think about when we were a kid. When we were kids and... And we hear scary noises, or even 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 as adults, you know, there was one time, one time I was outside and I heard this this horrible noise. I was like, "What in the world is that in my woods?" Even as an adult, I was like, oh, "That's a little that's a little concerning." The, the, well, I found out later, 
through a child's toy that it was a raccoon. Raccoons make some horrible noises, like, and I was like, oh my goodness, what is that in my woods? However, the, these, these noises, this unknown in the darkness can cause fear. But the, the God of light, you know, the Lord is our light and our salvation. He, he brings clarity where there was no clarity. When, when the things that are there that we find scary, when he sheds his light on them, they're no longer so scary because we, we know that God's in control. You know, God's, God is our salvation. It doesn't matter if it's that scary raccoon noise, you know, or the, or, or the monster in your closet. When you're a kid, God brings, he, he, he brings salvation. He protects us from those things that we're afraid of. He says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You know, a stronghold. You know, exactly what is that? You know, we, we, we hear God referred to in different places, in the Psalms especially, as being a strong tower. You know, what is a stronghold? A stronghold is a place that it's usually fortified, and you can run into this place, and you're protected. So, so when... You know, when David's saying that, that the Lord is my stronghold, he's saying that he's my protector. He's that, that place that he can run to and he can be safe. And, and, and when you have a stronghold, you have a, you have a, a position that's it's easily defended. You know, for us it's easily defended because when the Lord is their stronghold, you can beat him. Nobody. When the Lord is their stronghold, when he is our light and he's our salvation, you know, whom shall we fear? Because there's nothing anybody can do to us, you know, to, to bring us down. To, to, you know, they may be able to destroy the flesh, but, but, you know, why would we be afraid of someone who could destroy the flesh when we have someone who can protect our soul? You know, death is a funny thing. Death is a funny thing because so many of us fear it. You know, so many people fear death. But, but I tell you, when the Lord is your light and your salvation, death is the accomplishment. It's the, it's, the, it, it's, the, it's, the, it's the reward for your relationship with Christ because you get rid of this, this achy body and you get rid of the, the bill collector and you get rid of you know, all the things. That you get rid of the scary raccoon noises. You, you know, <laughs> because, because when we go to be with the Lord, we're, we no longer even need salvation here. We no longer even need a stronghold because we've arrived. You, you know, isn't that's kind of a cool thing? You, you know, this 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 holiday season has been kind of different for me. And what you all know, I lost my dad in May. You, you know, so everything seems kind of odd. It seems kind of strange. You, you, your first your first year that you're missing somebody that that, that's, that's, that you used to be there. But you know what, dad's. Dad's in a place where he, he's, he's really enjoying, he enjoyed his Thanksgiving because he spent it with our Savior. He, you know, when we've lost spouses or children or parents, when they've known the Lord, he, you know, it only stinks for us. He, you know, that's, it's, it's, but that's even then, that's, that's a time for us to run to our stronghold, our tower. You know, and the holidays is really tough for a lot of people. It really, really is. I mean, all my years in law enforcement and as a medic, I can assure you suicide rates go through the roof. 
when I was working the road, I spent a lot of time in the hospital sitting with people that needed to be committed because holidays are tough times. But, but, you know, why is that? You know, we have so many expectations or so many memories. We feel loss, you know, because, you know, like with my dad, you know, this, you know, I was used to having dad at Christmas. You know, for me, it's easy because I've lost him in the Lord. It's easier. But, but it's, but these are the times that we need to run to our, our Lord, our stronghold. And David's now talking about evil men. When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. You know, God has a way of getting in front of the things that, that seek to harm us. You know, I, I have no idea how many times that God saved my, my rear and I just didn't know about it. You know, in Deuteronomy, what's he say? He tells us he goes before us, and he fights our battles for us. You know, we see this this, this language in the in, in the Bible where God is referred to as our banner. You know, what was what was that all about? You know, whenever whenever you would march in the battle, and 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 your banner would say who you were. You know, who you represented. And when we march in the battle, and, and, and the Lord is, is, is our banner, and he's gone before us, and he's protected us, how, how many times? I have no idea how many times he's saved us. We had just no idea. God does have a way when people seek to destroy us or to harm us. He has a way of getting in their way. You know, we, we do see cases where, unfortunately, sometimes bad guys do get good people. But God, for so many times, over and over, protects his people. David says, Though an army beseech me, my heart will not fear. Though, my, though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. You know, even, picture what David's saying. Even when he goes to war, he can be confident because the Lord is his light and his salvation. If David can go to war with that kind of confidence, Shouldn't we be able to go into our battles in life or even just our day-to-day living with that same type of confidence? You know, one of the interesting things, I know it's not a popular idea in today's society, but one of my people I studied in history that fascinates me is, is Thomas Stonewall Jackson. You know, people have issues with him because he was on the wrong side. But I'll tell you, this was a, this was a God-fearing man. You know, Thomas Jackson, um, you know, when, he would, when he was even asked about this whole thing, why they call him Stonewall, how he could you know, sit up on his horse with bullets whizzing by him, you know, his response, and I'm going to butcher it, but what, what he said was, basically, if, if, if you know the Lord, you should be as comfortable in a battlefield as what you are in your bed. You, you know, and like I said, I'm, I butchered it. I had the exact phrase, I had the exact quote down on my Facebook. It was probably still there. But when you know the Lord, you can be as confident in, in, on the battlefield as you are in your bed. You, you know, so I think Stonewall Jackson understood something that David understood. That he could be confident regardless of what he was facing when the Lord was on his side. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord 
all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Let me read that again. That's, that's, that's really, it's really special. 27.4, One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. I think there's a there's a now fulfillment here and there's a later fulfillment in the scripture. You know, even now, you know, it, it is so special to be able to seek the Lord, seek his will, seek his, you know, his desire in our lives and to dwell in his house. You, you know, here's the interesting thing too, is, is this building, is this the house of the Lord? We, we call it that. The house of the Lord is anywhere his believers are. You, you, you know, so it's, it's to want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. We see the beauty of the Lord in his house. We, we see it in each other. You, you know, because we were, there's a, there's a thing they, they say in the chosen. There's, a, there's another thing I'm going to butcher that, you know, I once was one way, and then I became another way, but the thing in between was him. You know, so when, when Jesus has, has, has changed us from what we were into what we are now and continuing to work with us, as the Holy Spirit continues to work with us to make us more like Christ, it is, it is a, a beautiful thing to see the, the beauty of the Lord, even in his house, to see it in his people. You, you know, that's David, and, and he would have been talking more about the building. Because the Holy Spirit, we see in the Old Testament, would, would rest on people, but, but you don't see the Holy Spirit living in people until after the resurrection at Pentecost. He, he, you know, so the house of the Lord in David's context would have definitely, would have actually have been you know, the physical place. You know, this wanting to be in the house of the Lord, to be in his temple, well, that's what's really cool about the, the post-resurrection and post-Pentecost is that you are the temple of God. You are the house of God. This is, this is a building that he blessed us with to come and talk about him and share about him and be a, a, a place where hopefully people come that, that they can come to know the, the Lord, but where the rubber meets it, you are the house of God. You know, that's, that, that's, that's an amazing thing to think about. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. And again, this is this, this, this language of, of, of God being our protector. When the day of trouble, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. Do you think that applies to us too? Do we ever have days of trouble? Yeah, we have days of trouble. We have lots of days of trouble. We live in a fallen world. That's the beautiful thing about serving the God who is the light and their salvation in this really dark and scary world. Because the day of trouble, it, come, it rolls in on us nonstop. It's almost like the oceans. You know, the waves, they just keep coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. But regardless of how high the wave gets, or, how, or regardless of how rough the undercurrent gets, 
He's still our protector, and he's still our shield. And he still keeps us safe during that, that, that day of trouble. You know, the same God that David's talking about, it's the same God we serve. I mentioned it was just last week or the week before in Hebrews. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The exact same God that David is talking about is the exact same God that lives inside you. Same guy. Then my head will be exalted above my enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, I will sacrifice and give shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Then my head will be exalted above my enemies who surround me. You know, the, the funny thing about exaltation, though, is when Christ exalts us in any way, it is not for us. It, it's to bring attention to the Son. So even when we were saved from the day of trouble, and he puts us in a high place for people to see, it's, it's to show others the power of Christ, the redemptive power of Christ, the ability for God to save you in your day of trouble. It, it's never about you know, making you, you know, something, the big kid on the block. It's never about making you the, you know, the big fish in a small pond. It, it's, it's never about that. You know, even when we are lifted up or exalted, it's all about bringing attention to Christ. You know, when he's exalted me into different places of ministry over the last 30 years, and every single time that he's done it, it's never been for me. It's been for whoever I would be speaking to. It would be whoever that he wanted me to reach. You know, so if God puts me in cool places at different times, it's, it, it's, it's, it's so that I can impact the world for him. And that's not, that's not just true of me. Again, like I've told, I've said it many, many times here, if you have breath in your lungs, you're not retired. God's got a purpose for you. You know, so when God, God places you in somebody's life to maybe say something or to be something or, 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 or to help them in some way or just to share his, his word with them or even just to pray for them, you, you know, probably the most underrated position in the church are your prayer warriors. Nobody, many, many times people don't even know who they are. But, they, but I, you know, they're the person that sits quietly in the back or in the front and doesn't say anything, but they're praying for the... They're the reason the church succeeds. It has nothing to do with the guy that's at the pulpit. It really, really doesn't. It's just prayer warriors. So even if, even if you're in a, in a season of your life where you, you just feel too tired, you know, to come all, all these extra meetings and, or, 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 and, and you know serve food or do whatever it is that we do because we're getting busier and busier. You know, even if you're at your home and you're praying for us when we do these works, you are every bit as important as anyone that's here. It's, and and, and it's, it's true. So, so that being said, I need all you folks to be praying about Christmas. Christmas is a curious thing. It brings people to church that never, ever, ever go to church. So we have an opportunity, and I need you guys to be praying about that. Psalms 27, 7, Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says to you, seek his face. 
Your, your face, Lord, I seek. You know, and that's, I think the key there, a thing there is that's so important is my heart says, seek his face. I am absolutely convinced that is the reason David was a man after God's own heart. You know, you know because I, when I look at the life of David, uh, I mean, he, he did some pretty messed up stuff. Some, pretty, some stuff that, that, that if, he had, if he wasn't a king and he lived in our, our society and he did it, you know, we'd be looking to give him the, the, a lethal injection or an electric chair because you know, he did some pretty, pretty not-so-cool things. But what made him a, a man after God's own heart? I think it's his own heart, because his own heart says, seek, seek his face. And David did. David really, really did. I, I mean, we look even from when he was a, pretty much a child slaying Goliath. He, you know, he, he sought the face of God and took down a giant that, that, that God's armies were afraid of. You think David wasn't seeking the, the face of the Lord for, at that time? Even before Goliath. He was, he was the of all Jesse's sons, he was the one that not even Jesse thought was going to be king. <laughs> he, you know, when Samuel came and he's like, hey, you know, show me your sons. You know, the Lord's, Lord wants me to anoint one of them the next king. And he, he, who did he bring? Every single one except David. Even Jesse wasn't, wasn't convinced. But what was David doing? He was out in the field fighting off lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Maybe not a lot. Well, they could have been lions, tigers, and bears. Who knows? We know there were lions. We knew there, was, we knew there were things that, 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 you know, that were scary. And he was out there fighting those things. He, you know, when I look at when I look at some of these, I'm a I'm I'm a kind of a nature guy. I like watching things like the shark, shark things, and you know wildlife things. And some of those critters out there are pretty scary. Well, David fought them off. You think he wasn't seeking after the Lord during that, even when he was a young boy? We you know he did during the Goliath he had of. What about after, after he was anointed king, even though he wasn't stepped into the position yet, Saul was hot on his tail. Uh, I mean, he had to been seeking the Lord. He got through it. You know, even after he became king, he did a lot of cool things as king. You, you know, so it's what, what made David this, this, this man after God's own heart, it had, it had to do with his heart. <laughs> you, you know, and that's what I was talking about the other Sundays. You know, it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't change our position in Christ, who we are to him. You know, do some of the things that we do, do we need to repent of them? Oh, yes. But God doesn't think less of us when we mess up. God doesn't care less for us when we do stupid things. David did a lot of stupid things, but he was still... A man after God's own heart. And I, and I see this in the Psalm 27, verse 4, or 7, I'm sorry, or 8. I'll get it right one of these days. My heart says, seek his face. And he says, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O, o Lord, or O God, my Savior. He's asking God not to turn him away, not to reject him. Well, you want to know what God wouldn't have? 
I'm sure there were times in David's life that he, he may have thought that God had. You, you know, we've seen his psalms. Many places where he felt that God wasn't listening. You know, where God had turned his face from him. But do you think God ever really truly turned his face from David? No, I don't think he did. I think sometimes when we do stupid things, he has to let us learn our lessons. He has to let us take our lumps. But it doesn't, but you want to know what? Those, those lumps are, are because of our own choices, our decisions. It doesn't mean God took his, turned his face from us. It doesn't mean that God's taken his hand off of us. He, doesn't, he just doesn't do that. That is against his character. Uh, I mean, when, what, what did Jesus say? I'll never leave you nor forsake you, not even to the end of the age. If Jesus is saying he will never leave nor forsake you, and that's actually also in the Old Testament. God, you know, that's when Jesus is saying, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Does that mean that when we do stupid things that, that he turns his face from us? He absolutely does not. He absolutely does not. And so David was asking him, don't turn away, don't turn your servant away, but the, the reality is God wouldn't. That's not, that's not the way God works. God's really consistent in the way he does things. You, you know, here's, here's the beautiful thing about natural law. You know, things that we like to call natural law, you know, things like gravity. You, you know, why do we call it a law? It's because it doesn't matter what you do, that law doesn't change. It doesn't matter. As long as we're staying in this exact same rotation, in this exact same tilt, if you drop something, it's going to fall. <laughs> It, it just is. You, you know, laws of gravity, if you're on a bigger planet, it falls even harder. <laughs> you know, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a funny thing how that works. But God, God is consistent. He, 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 does, he, he, he doesn't change in the way he handles things, just like our natural laws don't change. So, so when Jesus says, I will never leave nor forsake you, you can trust that. And that does not change. You, you know, and that's, and it's sad that there are times in David's life that, that, he, that he looks like he felt that God had abandoned him because God never abandoned him. But what's, it's what makes the psalm so real because we can relate to that. Have you ever felt like God's ever abandoned you? <laughs> oh, my heavens, yes. There have been times I've thought, God, where are you? You, you know, oh... Old Jonah thought he could run to Tarsus, the other side of the world in his mind. Thought he could get away from God. Well, you know, it didn't work. Because you can't run from God. He doesn't, you, you know, like I said, our position in him doesn't change based on what we do. It has everything to do with who we are. We are a child of the king. When you ask Jesus in your heart, you are a child of the king. Nothing changes that. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in the straight path because of my oppressors. You know, I can understand why he would want to, to know the ways of the Lord because of his oppressors, but I'll tell you what, I, I'm interested in knowing the way of the Lord just because it's the way of the Lord. <laughs> you, you, you know, following God's statutes 
can keep us safe. You know, when we, when, we, when we get opposition or we get oppressors coming against us. But I'm, I'm more interested to know the statutes and the laws of God just because they're important. You know, what's, what does that say? You know, the very first psalm we looked at when I, when I came here in the this, in this Sunday school was Psalm 1. What's, what's it say about the, what's it say about the, the person that, 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 that studies the Word of God and, and holds it in their heart? Well, they're like, they're like a tree planted by what? Waters. You know, so it's important for us to seek the face of God. It's important for us to, to learn His Word so that we're like that tree planted by water. Yes, it's a good thing that when our oppressors you know, come against us. It's good to know the Word of God. We, we see that in Jesus, with Jesus. Jesus goes out in the wilderness. You know, who tries to oppress him? Satan himself. You, you know, tries to tempt him. You, you, know, you know, bow before me and I'll, I'll give you all this stuff. You know, how did Jesus, how did Jesus resist the devil? Scripture. He quoted Scripture. It is written. You know, you're pretty hungry. You, you know, you can make these stones in the bread. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but from every word spoken from the mouth of God. The, you know, so that's, so it is important when we are oppressed or people resist us. It's important that we know the word of God, but it's also important that we know the word for God for times of peace so that we're like that tree planted by living waters. You know, so we, we have that strong root Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, where false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. Have you ever had anybody lie on you? I think we've all had somebody lie on us. You, you know, and, it's, it, it, and it really bothers us because how could somebody think that about us or will people believe that? You know, so even people bore false witness against David. But, but who did again? Who did he lean to? Where did he go? When people are speaking out all sorts of evil against you or saying things about you that aren't true, our gut instinct is to defend ourselves. This is something I know a lot about. Let me tell you about anybody who's ever been in ministry. Everybody, every single person that's ever been in ministry, people have stuff to say about you. And your gut instinct is to defend yourself. But it's important, not only as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but as a believer, that maybe defending yourself isn't the best thing. Maybe praying for them and accepting that, that God, as long as God knows the truth, the truth's going to come out. And it always does. That's a funny thing about truth. People try to cover it up. It always kind of bubbles up. Whether it's because you tried to hide something or somebody said something wrong about you, the truth always tends to bubble up to the top. Sometimes instead of trying to vindicate ourselves, sometimes we need to just lean on the Lord to let Him vindicate us. And He does. I am still confident of this, 
I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. David was confident that even on this side of heaven, he was going to see the goodness of the Lord. And he did. We have seen the goodness of the Lord. You know, I talked, I don't know if it was Sunday, last Sunday or the Sunday before last. Just being born here in America, we've seen the goodness of the Lord. We could have been born anywhere. But God chose to stick us someplace where we could meet in a building like this. And you know that there are places in the world you could be put to death just for having this in your hand. It's true. We stick missionaries into places that, you know, perfect examples you know, in, the, in the assemblies of God is they, they, they kind of help itinerate and, and, and plant these missionaries. They plant missionaries in places where they can't call them missionaries. They have to go in as teachers because they would be put to death if they found out why they were really there. There are denominations who have missionaries in places where they can't even tell you where they are because their life would be in danger if anybody even found out they were there. But we, we have seen the goodness of God just, just because we're here. We have seen the goodness of God because of Jesus. You know, this Christmas season, we're celebrating the incarnation of Christ, the putting on a flesh of Christ and his coming. Because we were born after that, we've got to witness through the word and through the change in our life, the benefits and the goodness of God that came as a result of this coming. We've got to enjoy the goodness of, of, of God by reading about the life of Christ and what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We, we, we've got to see the goodness of God by, by, by getting the clarity of the Old Testament, the clarity of the law through the eyes of the man who wrote it. You, you know, that's the beautiful thing about the Sermon on the Mount. Do, do you really get what that is? The Sermon on the Mount is the creator of the universe bringing clarity to what he, what was taught, what, what he gave in the law in, in the beginning. You, you know, where there was so much either confusion or arguments or people saying, well, this, the word says this, or the word says that, it means this, it means that. Jesus, Jesus came to say, well, this is what it means. We have seen the goodness of God in that way. We have seen the goodness of God in, in the living because that baby, he grew up into a sinless man, took our place on a cross. I talk a lot about a cross at Christmas. You can't separate those things. You know, the birth without the death and the resurrection means nothing. It, it, it would have been cool that he did it. It would have been cool that he brought some clarity to the law. But without the cross and the resurrection, it would have been, you know, its importance would have ended two, almost 2,000 years ago. 
we've seen the goodness of the Lord in the living on this side. It might not feel like it every day. It's a rainy day, I'm sure all of us are feeling it. But the reality is we have seen the goodness of the Lord. He is our light. He is our salvation. He is our stronghold. He is, he is the place that we can run to. He is the one that vindicates us. He's the one that protects us. He's the one that, that has, has taken us from places of darkness and has shown light in those places. We have seen the goodness of God in the living. Let us pray and then go get some coffee. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that thank you that obviously there was something in Psalm 27 you wanted us to see. Thank you, Lord, for redirecting us from, from the original plan. God, we love you. We praise you. Jesus, over these next couple of weeks, Lord, may we, just, may we just honor what you've done. May we honor the life that you lived, the sacrifices you've made. Jesus, there's lost people out there who are just thinking about coming to this church or the church down the, the, the street or any other church. God, we ask that you fill your churches. Send them here, send them somewhere. God, I just ask that wherever you send them, that the name of Jesus is lifted high. And the good news of great joy is, is, is spoken from, from the people and from the pulpit. God, we ask that, you, we just, that we just honor and praise you and love on you and give you what you deserve over this holiday season. May we make it all about you and not about us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that, my friends, is an audible. <laughs>